0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you, to empower you, so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a couple of different scams and how you can avoid falling prey to them. First, getting a four-legged family member. You into those? A pet. And later, how to tell what job postings are likely legitimate, and which ones are most likely scams? Well, puppy fraud was a constant question or issue that we dealt with during the pandemic. I mean, the phrase pandemic puppy was a real thing because people were lonely. I mean, let's face it, we are social beings as humans. And when we were locked away from our fellow human beings in so many places in the country for so long, people looked for companionship. And so uh, I was hearing over and over again from people who were getting scammed. And I did several stories on television about people who were scammed out of big money in the whole puppy con game. And this is something that goes on and on and on not just during pandemics google of all people has done something wild google is going after people who post phony puppies for sale or non-existent puppies for sale in fact they just filed a lawsuit in federal court going after people that are doing this kind of thing mooring people by saying they have these adorable, beautiful puppies, all made up stuff. And it's shocking that Google would do this, but it's a drop in the bucket. I think it's cool they're doing it. I just need you to know that this is a scam that has worked year after year after year after year. You know, it used to happen with something, I'm going way, way back in the Wayback Machine. Do you know there used to be something in newspapers called a classified ad? Okay, so this is pre-anything you're used to with the internet. In fact, the most profitable part of a newspaper was the classified ads, where you'd put a little ad selling your car or trying to um, rent an apartment out or stuff for sale, in this case, puppies. And over and over again, there would be these fake listings for puppies. And people would pay for these ads because it was so lucrative to con people. All that's happened now is it's moved worldwide, and it's so easy for the crooks to put up fake pictures. They're real pictures, but they've, they've just stolen them from other people. And I need for you to be extra, extra, extra careful with merchandise that's available for sale. In this case, a living being a puppy but so often i think about the scams involving vacation rentals i think about the scams involving cars for sale i don't know if you know how it works so often with the fake vacation rentals but someone will go to realtor.com or zillow or something like that and they'll find a property somewhere they think hey that that's really a good tall tale for me to tell and they'll steal the pictures the description, and they'll post it as a rental and put it available for rent. They'll start taking money from people, deposits, whatever. They'll even take full payment, and people will get to a place, and they're like, hey, I can't get in. What's going on? I can't get in the property. Well, it turns out it was totally a scam. I want you to be really cautious Anytime you're looking to buy something for sale or a living being like a puppy, and I want you to do everything you can to verify the validity of it with a car, I mean, I want you to see that car in person, buying a car that is far away, being sold by an individual that your trusting is real and legit, that's very high risk. Anything where you are not able to lay your eyeballs personally onto something, you're creating a danger for your wallet. Please remember that in all these different ways. And the puppy thing, remember, it will live on in various forms forever. Did you do any pandemic puppies?
1: Uh, we did get a pandemic puppy, but, um, it was because our other dog had passed away and we were, we wanted our other dog to have a companion. So it wasn't like a, you know, sudden decision eh? and, uh, we're happy with it. So,
0: and do people know you have your own urban farm with like a full <laughs> household of animals? How many do you have these days?
1: Uh, we just have two dogs, two cats, two kids,
0: two dogs, two cats, two kids. Yeah. Okay. That sounds, uh, like. Like right out of like a stereotype of an like American numbers. family. You like numbers, yeah.
1: You like numbers or yeah. even numbers. Yeah. So okay, um, let's go to some questions. This is from Jonah in Ohio. I graduated with a master's degree last spring. I was able to pay for my bachelor's degree through scholarships, working, and with a small loan from my parents. So I only needed to take out a federal loan for my master's. My loan was supposed to go into repayment in November of twenty one but the repayment pause keeps getting extended. It seems to me that since the loan isn't accruing any interest during the pause, there's no real incentive to begin making payments when I could be making at least the small amount of interest that I get from my credit union. At the same time, it feels wrong to just forget about a $30,000 loan. I currently have no other debt aside from the personal loan from my parents, but I will need to take out a car loan in the next few months to get a more reliable vehicle. I'm just confused about whether I should let the loan sit or take advantage of the 0% interest to pay down the principal?
0: So this one's a puzzle. You're going to need the new vehicle. It's going to require a loan. As much money as you can pay down on that new vehicle is to your advantage. So normally, if you hadn't thrown in the wrinkle with needing the money for the new vehicle loan, I would have suggested that you continue to pay or start paying on the grad loan, and reduce the principal of it moving forward. In your case, go ahead and continue to benefit from the payment holiday. Save that money and use it towards a down payment on that vehicle. So that vehicle loan, you can make the loan term as short as possible. And also, when you make the loan term shorter... You get a lower interest rate as well because you're creating a lower risk profile on the vehicle loan. I want you to join a credit union if you haven't done so already to get the best deal on it. Now, the student loan, $30,000 with a graduate degree, total amount of student loan debt, that is a manageable amount of debt, and I would not want you to pay as agreed over 20, 30 years, whatever. I don't want you to pay that much interest. As your finances allow you, as payments resume, I want you to pay as much as you can each month towards that loan. It's probably a grad plus, which has a higher interest rate than an undergraduate student loan anyway. And I want you to attack that and get rid of that 30000 in a reasonable period of time, not is higher priority than everything else in your life. But I don't want you to say, oh, they only want X per month. That's all I'm going to pay. That I don't recommend.
1: This is from Cynthia in Georgia. If a check for $5,000 is deposited into an account that has less than $50, when will that $5,000 be available for withdrawal? My 18-year-old daughter was scammed. She allowed a check to be deposited into her account, and she was instructed to send money to various Apple Pay and Cash App accounts. These transactions occurred over two days. The check was returned in three business days, but by then, the bank allowed all the money to be withdrawn from that check. We filed a fraud case with the bank, but they have yet to answer this question. I've always known banks to hold a check for a number of days before you can withdraw against it. Is this no longer the standard? Otherwise, the scam would never have happened if the check was verified.
0: So, Cynthia, this is ugly on many, many levels This is like the puppy scam thing. This is an oldie but baddie that criminals give you a fake check, tell you you get to keep part of it, and then you pay them whatever method they tell you the rest of the money. And this is such an abusive scam. So the thing where banks hold back availability of funds, that is for their protection, not yours. The fact that the bank didn't put a hold on your teenager's check it does not benefit you in any way in a case where she's been defrauded out of this $5,000. This is as ugly a story as there could be because the criminals condor, they have the money, and she is responsible for that money. And so if the bank, yes, if the bank had followed their hold rules then she would not have been able to send this money out. The fact that the bank did not do so is in no way a protection for you because the bank failed to protect itself because now they face something else too. And that is, where's your daughter going to come up with $5,000 to make good the loss on this rubber check? She had less than $50 going into this. So the bank is a loser in this as well, because where's your daughter coming up with the $5,000? Their failure to properly execute a hold on the check for time for it to clear will ultimately potentially cost them and your daughter and cause reputational harm for her going forward, being able to have a banking relationship. So in this case, everybody loses except the con artist.
1: And do you think the bank maybe has, like, you know, most of them have a limit on how much you can deposit that they would hold? Do you think it's, like, 5,000, above 5,000 or something in this bank, potentially? So,
0: the way it works is there's a certain amount of money that is available after two banking days, right? and then depending on the size of the check Check. and prior activity, there are hold cycles beyond that. Mm -hmm. So, this this is a case where the bank failed to protect itself, which... If the bank had been protecting itself, it would have protected her. This yeah. is this is one with no happy story no, to it warned, at all. It's
1: warn your loved ones and everyone you know about these scams.
0: So the scam in base, how this scam works, many different wrinkles, but you're told whatever tall tale you're given a counterfeit check or a stolen check to deposit in your account. And you're told whatever story they come up with, that you get to keep a portion of the money from that check, and then you pay them the rest. So you get a commission for being the one that deposited the check. And so people are like, wow, this is free money falling out of the sky, and they believe whatever tall tale they're told, and then the consequences are brutal later on. The shocking thing in this case is the check came back bounced in three days. Usually these checks take weeks to come back balanced. This is very unusual. In a normal situation, it wouldn't even matter if the bank had put a normal hold period on that check. The check would not have come back as no good till well after that hold period.
1: And this is from Michelle in Virginia. Hi, Clark. My husband just booked a car on Turo and we declined the accident protection insurance since we have rental coverage insurance through our Chase Preferred card. The owner of the car is now asking us to upload a picture through the Turo app of his driver's license and auto insurance cards. We already provided all of his information from his driver's license to Turo and are uncomfortable uploading a picture of his license. The owner of the car will not rent to us if this is not done. Is this safe to do?
0: It makes me very uncomfortable for you to provide this to the individual, Michelle, who's renting you a Turo. They've obviously been burned in some way by somebody who didn't have adequate insurance, I would contact Turo and say, what is normal procedure? Is it okay for the actual owner of the vehicle, like as if they were a traditional rental car company, Hertz, Avis, National Budget, Alamo, whoever, is it okay for them to ask for this kind of information from you? Because if it was a major rental car company, and they asked to see your insurance card, or your driver's license or whatever, you say, sure. In this case, it's fuzzier because Turo is acting almost like an Airbnb, matching up individuals who want to rent a vehicle with somebody who owns a vehicle that they're happy to rent to them. And so this gets into a gray area that I'd like you to verify with Turo. I also want you to do something else. You need to see if your own automobile insurance covers you and also – if your credit card that you have with Chase does it cover Turo rentals? What I'm trying to think the language they use for those kind of rentals where you're renting not from a major rental car company, but you're renting through an app. You just got to make sure that that is a covered purpose because not everybody in auto insurance and not all the credit cards that provide auto insurance coverage or the equivalent of auto insurance coverage for rentals if they do, in fact, cover rents that you do, rentals that you do on Turo or other such platforms. Gosh, a lot of assignments on that one, huh? (laughs) And straight ahead, we got people in job rotation like I can't recall. I mean, I really don't remember another time, Krista, that people have been looking for a new job with the velocity that people are today, the quit rate, all that. So you need to know as you're out there looking for jobs and so many of the postings now you apply initially online, you got to know when there's a scamster lurking and when it is potentially a real opportunity.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: This job I got, I'm not going anywhere in it. I want another opportunity. Where people look now, and there's nothing wrong with it, is they look online. And scammers know that this is a ripe opportunity to really, really take advantage of people, to steal their identity, steal uh, money all kinds of cons involved in the job market. The people who, according to a Better Business Bureau study, the people that are being ripped off the most are people 25 to 34 years old. That they are the most likely to trust an online job listing more than anybody else and cough up a lot of personal information with a potential employer not verified, and sight unseen. Gosh, doesn't this sound a little like a theme from what I talked about earlier with the puppies? That The problem is people can create a backstory that makes them seem like they really are A-OK. Where's the number one place that people are letting their guard down and getting taken. According to this, Indeed is the platform. Indeed is an absolutely perfectly legitimate platform and a very popular one. So criminals, the con artists, are using a respected mainstream legitimate platform as a way to get you to think, oh, this is on indeed. These people have to be absolutely legit. And then they'll have some kind of online interview with you or something. And then they'll say, oh, okay, well, we need to have your social security number and we need to have this and we need to have that. Before you realize it, you've given a criminal the keys to the kingdom that the criminal needs to engage in full identity theft. You know, eventually the trail goes cold on the job. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. What is this thing I'm getting saying congratulations on my new American Express card? Or I hope you're enjoying your new ba-ba-ba car or whatever. Because you had given the person enough information, the con artist, to engage in the ability with that social and your address and your date of birth and everything else they get. They've got your whole profile, and they're off to the races. The good news for people 25 to 34 is the main targets of this. The big, big, big money for identity thieves to go after is money you have in like a 401K or a mutual fund account or a brokerage account. A lesser extent a bank account, and typically, you haven't reached the point in life that you got enough money that you're a great target for them on those things. Those things are more likely targeted towards older people. and interestingly enough, beyond age forty five, people are not really susceptible to this particular scam, and the difference is people that are twenty five to thirty four are digital natives. Everything you've known from when you were very young was being able to do things on the internet, doing things digitally, doing things on a phone. It makes you more susceptible to digital scams than other people. Now, the amount of money lost in these scams, though, this is fascinating. And going back to what I said about the brokerage accounts, 401k accounts, and the rest, People that are 65 plus almost never get taken in these fake job listing scams, but the amount of money lost is much higher among that very, very small group because again, the criminals are stealing your identity and then going after the money. So what you need to know, and by the way, I should tell you, there were other categories that the criminals were operating on. LinkedIn. Facebook, Career Builder, Zip Recruiter, even Craigslist. But those five categories added together didn't add up to the number of people being scammed as they're being scammed through Indeed. And again, not Indeed's fault. So this is more art than clear science. When you are, in fact, prospecting for a job on any of these sites, you can engage in an interview, but When you are asked to start giving extremely personal information that would allow, remember the steps that allow a criminal to fully take over your identity is your social security number, date of birth, address, those things. Those are the keys that when you reach that stage, you need to go further in figuring out And I can't tell you the exact steps to figure out because obviously the most solid would be doing an interview in person with somebody. But you need to remember that that's the wall you don't cross until you've reached the point that you're really comfortable that the job that you are applying for is legit and that the interviewer who's interviewing you is legit as well. I don't want you to get taken. If I'm telling you something, though, like, hey, I did interview for a job the other day, and it didn't feel quite right. What you need to run to do, not walk, run, you need to freeze your credit with all three major credit bureaus to try to do everything you can to lock down your identity to prevent many of the things that a criminal would do. To disrupt or steal from your life. If you go to clark.com slash credit freeze, you'll see how to get that done. Krista? Okay.
1: This is from Bana in Kentucky. She says, I just paid my house off. Is title theft a real thing? Do I need protection from one of these companies that sells it, or can you recommend a good route to take? And we get these questions all the time.
0: Every single day. So that's because this has been. A extremely lucrative business for the companies that sell, uh, which generally referred to as title insurance, but not like traditional title insurance. They might use the word lock in their name or something like that, because there's been a very rare but brutal crime in the United States where someone who owns his or her home free and clear has substantial equity in it, will have criminals come in this like we're gonna make people suspicious of everybody in life today it's a job hazard for us but this whole podcast has been like okay somebody's gonna scam you this way or that way or the other way i promise most people are good people there's just some really rotten eggs out there
1: you have to know what to watch out for
0: right okay so there's this rare crime where someone will find a property that is owned free and clear, and roughly a third of personal residences are owned free and clear. And then they will go through a process where they fool lenders into thinking they're the owner of the property instead of you. Now, this is a vicious crime when it occurs, and somebody might sell your home right out from under you, but most often what they're doing is they're falsifying papers and taking out debt against the home that is a debt-free or nearly debt-free home. Then suddenly, you've got this new loan against your home that was all done under fraudulent circumstances that you didn't take out, and it's a mess, and you've got to hire your own lawyer to get that cleaned up and get that fraudulent loan removed from the property. Pain. So that's where these services come in, And what they do is they alert you when somebody's doing bad stuff. So it doesn't prevent the bad stuff. It is an alert system. It's kind of like with identity theft, these services that alert you that somebody's trying to apply for credit as if they're you, but it's not as solid as like credit freeze where it prevents somebody from applying for credit as if they're you. The closest there is now that's, becoming available in more and more counties around the country is where you can have a registry service for free with your county and you want to check to see if your county does it mine does and you're alerted i don't know if yours does Hmm. but mine does you register with them and then they tell you anytime there's any activity against your title and they notify you for free and so it's the equivalent of what people have, are paying for with these services otherwise. Again, I want to mention this is a very rare crime. It's one that's now very clear to counties all over the country and law enforcement all over the country, but it does remain a potential hazard for people who own their homes free and clear or with heavy substantial equity. And that's where these services have come into being.
1: Okay, so this one is not about a scam, but there is... You have one without a scam? But there's family conflict. Okay. This is from Robert in Hawaii. I share a mountain cabin with a good-sized lot with my brother in the Lake Tahoe area. My brother has decided to sell it. I'm not happy, but I don't want to fight it out in court. Other than buying him out, what can I do? I live in Hawaii, but I stay at the house for approximately three months in the winter skiing. I'm quite unhappy, but it seems I won't be able to stop the sale. I will receive half of the final money. Anything I can do except bite the bullet. Aloha.
0: Robert, you bite the bullet. I mean, the, the answer you stated is the thing you didn't want to do up front. You know, your brother doesn't feel the sentimental attachment you do to this property that's been in your family for three generations and your brother just wants the money and he has a right to do that is something that you're sharing. And I don't know exactly how the property is titled, but the real answer is he wants the money. So if that's what it is and you spend three months a year there, it's more valuable to you obviously than it is to him. And it's got family history tied up in it as well. If you can, you you buy him out with cash. If you can't, you offer him a note. And that'll be up to your brother if he's willing to accept it, or otherwise you got to go secure a loan to buy him out. But the proper thing to do in this case is exactly what you said you didn't want to do, but that's what you need to do. And then you'll own the thing completely, and it'll be your option, your choice, Robert, moving forward. What happens with that property? And I want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. If we didn't get to your question today, know that we have a special, wonderful thing available to you. We provide free one-on-one advice, information, and guidance to you. Something we've been doing for almost 30 years now. And you can talk with one of our team members at the Team Clark Consumer Action Center Six hours each weekday. You can see full details, how to reach one of our members for one-on-one advice if you go to Clark.com slash C-A-C.